Talking Pharmacy is brought to you in partnership with Viatris, supporting pharmacy across RX dispensing, retail and OTC sales and patient service delivery. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Talking Pharmacy podcast. I'm Richard Thomas, editor of Pharmacy Magazine, and joining me on the pod this week are Rob Darricott, editor of P3 Pharmacy, Arthur Walsh, editor of our daily news service, Pharmacy Network News, and Neil Trainis, editor of Independent Community Pharmacist Magazine. Interesting stories in the news this week, so let's start straight away with Good Week, Bad Week. Arthur, you're opening the batting this week. What have you got for us? Good week or bad week? Hi, Richard. Um, I'm not sure is it a good week or, or a bad week, but it's something that a lot of people uh, seem to feel very strongly about. And I'm sure there are others who are bemused as, as to why they do. But we've had an update this week from the GPHC on the rebalancing legislation uh, going through government that has to do with how pharmacy is regulated in the UK. Uh, which is two two orders and um, that have been approved by the Privy Council and are now 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 we've been told are expected to be uh, come into force on the first of December, and the one that uh, our readers are most concerned with is the responsible pharmacist order, um which has to do with um with who deci- decides and defines the role of responsible pharmacists and superintendent pharmacists, um. And one thing that that so the main kind of thrust of it is that these the powers to define these roles are being transferred from politicians and to the regulators. So the GPHC and in Northern Ireland, the Pharmaceutical Society of Northern Ireland, and um, an, an aspect of it that that people seem to be concerned about is that this will you know in, obviously include deciding when is it acceptable for. Uh, an RP, a responsible pharmacist, to oversee more than one pharmacy. Uh, there was a consultation on this back in 2018. The Department of Health published the uh, res- published the report f- from this consultation earlier this year, uh, in which they reported that there was you know, fierce opposition to the ideas when put to the sector. 82% of responses expressed disagreement. And the thing that people were most concerned about was that it could be kind of the thin end of the wedge in terms of uh, pharmacy supervision and potentially facilitating remote supervision. The Department of Health in this report said it looked like what could be a coordinated response because a lot of the responses were concerned about this in an almost identical way. Uh, and um, perhaps the, the PDA being at the, at the forefront of it, it's one of the, the few pharmacy bodies that was very vocally opposed to the to move i mean the Depart- department of health's response is that um the although a responsible pharmacist can have the the, the role of supervising pharmacists at the same time this legislation does not concern the role of supervising pharmacists that's going to be reviewed um in the, in the future um when they're looking at kind of how to make better use of skill mix in pharmacy teams um so the the next steps are it's, pro- it's probably going to come into law on the 1st of December, say the GPHC, at which point um, they're going to embark on uh, engaging with patients in the public and health professionals to discuss, you know, or to, to kind of get, get a sense of what is required and expected of these roles, responsible pharmacists, superintendent pharmacists and chief, chief pharmacists as well. They say we're committed to listening carefully to all views expressed and considering what approach would best uh, <coughs> 
pardon me, best support, safe and effective pharmacy care. Um, a lot of people have been up in arms about this and were up in arms about this this latest announcement. Um, just like scanning through some comments on Twitter saying this is the end. One, one, one person said this is the end of pharmacy as we know it. Um, they say it's multiples pushing through legislation to enable a single pharmacist to be responsible for and supervise more than one pharmacy at a time. Um, and you know, another another pharmacist on Twitter saying, "No, who, which pharmacist would take this on? It's it's too much of a risk in terms of patient safety." That gives you a flavor of the um, concern that people have, despite the the DHs saying that that the, the the supervising pharmacist role wasn't up for discussion this this time around. So I mean, yeah, I I don't know—is it a good week or a bad week? But it's something. It's it's a conversation to be had and and from what i've seen some that, that some pharmacists i can't feel like a conversation that's being had you know over over their heads so uh, yeah I'm, I'm i'm curious kind of what your guys thoughts are do you kind of um are you as concerned about this as some of our audience seem to be or or is it just kind of a a natural progression in the in the sector natural progression um well what do, what do we think? What do I think? We've been here before, haven't we, many times. Um, so I think the thing that strikes me is, can the sector actually have a, a mature and sensible debate around supervision this time around? It's such a, a trigger issue, as you say, Arthur. And uh, these legislative changes that you've mentioned aren't even to do with supervision yet. Uh, what do I think? Look, I think some kind of change here is inevitable, even desirable. It surely must be about how we can enable the clinical skills of pharmacists to be directed at patients safely. Sometimes I think we look at this from the wrong end of the telescope. The starting point should be, surely, what kind of service do patients want from pharmacy and how do we go about delivering that? Once we know that, we can start to figure out a framework, a solution that makes the, the best use of the pharmacy team and then consider what law changes regulatory changes are needed um if any and I, I guess my starting point and end point with this is always that patients what do they want they want to walk into a pharmacy at any time and they want to speak to a pharmacist remote supervision is an absolute no-no neil what do you think i i think the this whole debate around supervision has got quite tiring tiresome and quite if i daring enough to say boring uh, you know I, I've no one's debating that it's not it's it's, it's, it's an, uh, an, an important issue yes of course it is but we've been talking about this for, for decades uh, it's, it's far too long um I think I agree with Mark Cosio uh, when he said at the pharmacy show that you know the whole debate around supervision is almost falling by the wayside now it's melting away it's not even become it's almost becoming a non-issue almost a non-issue the issue should be around the pharmacy team you know having a higher street clinic uh, approach a, a holistic sort of high street healthcare um, uh, center where people go for their for their healthcare needs, and that is underpinned by the team. It includes pharmacy technicians, pharmacists, uh, accounts checking technicians, the whole team. And suddenly, if you look at it from that perspective, the whole debate is framed in an entirely different way. And 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 Cosio said that it doesn't. This whole debate around supervision no longer has the emotion that was once attached to it. Um, the idea of running a pharmacy around a pharmacist. It's almost, as he put it, fallen by the wayside. So I, I think the debate's far from being energised or, or even interesting. I think this is becoming, or has become a very mundane 
tiresome kind of debate. I, I think if you look at it around the team and giving and, and giving other members of the team outside of the pharmacist that 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 responsibility, uh, I think Cosio said pharmacy technicians need to step up to the plate from which which did get a a, a a a bit of a reaction on social media. But if you look at it from that perspective, I think this no longer becomes much of an issue. Yeah, great points, Neil. Um, I mean, Andrew Evans, the chief pharmaceutical officer for Wales, uh, said exactly that, didn't he, at the pharmacy show, that it's about the team. And um, he felt the legislation needs change in modernising because supervision, he thought, sometimes is interpreted too literally. And it has autonomous, fully trained healthcare professionals in their own right. Pharmacy technicians could do um, so much more to free up pharmacist time if the right frameworks are in place and without being subject to the direct level of supervision that they they are at the moment. Um, Rob, your thoughts? Oh, it sounds like time mellows us all, Richard. Uh, I missed uh, missed Mark speaking at the pharmacy show, but I mean, we're obviously a long, long way from that three, four, five, six hundred page document that the PDA produced about technicians some years ago, uh, which is, uh, you know, all to be welcomed. I suppose I just wanted to add one thing that, yes, it is a very old, uh, it was a very old discussion. If there was an easy fix or if there had been an easy fix 20 years ago, it would have been done, I guess. Um, it's complex. It's part of the, um, it's part of what we all uh, learn fundamentally in the pharmacy de- degree process and formation of us as professionals, um, this whole concept of supervision. So it, it it's hard it's hard one and i guess difficult to let go of um the one thing i just like to follow up on something that you said richard i think um you know we've we've had the opportunity to hear andrew evans a couple of times in the last uh, few weeks at various things and i i recently had a uh, another conversation with him one of the things he talks about quite a lot is um is the importance of community and so richard you pose a question you know what what do we want to find out what um what patients want what people want and he very much stresses this it was one of his principles you know this this idea of community and the point that he makes is that um people have a relationship don't necessarily have a relationship with the pharmacy they have a relationship with the people in the pharmacy and we've had research over the years which says that you know for many people the actual people in the in the um in the pharmacy are you know who, who does it matter you know who who does what i think Clearly, over the years, there's been um, uh, much more knowledge about who in the pharmacy is the pharmacist. But I, I think, you know, what's important to people often is is that they see people regularly. The other one of the other words he uses quite a lot is continuity. And one of the things he said to me is that you know there is a there is a benefit over and above everything else that happens in a healthcare setting, which doesn't just apply to pharmacy, of building a relationship over time with the same people um, who provide advice and, and guidance. And I think that plays into this, this whole debate as well, I think. Um, and the last thing I'd say is that, you know, uh, pharmacy technicians are a, are uh, like pharmacy, an evolving profession. Um, but also they're, a, they're increasingly a, a profession with a, with a history. Um, so a, a lot of the issues that were raised around the time when technicians were first uh, registered, the voluntary register, you know, time passes and things move on and, and things evolve. And, and you know, like pharmacy, the people, um, like pharmacists, the people arriving on the register are 
trained to a different level and able to take take on new things so i think it's a good that we're having a debate i hope it's a healthy one because i think if we if we step back 10 years we, we've lost the plot again um and i think pharmacy also generally the professions in it are are ready for that discussion now yeah i i agree rob i hope it's a healthy debate this time it's a, definitely a debate we need to have about supervision so much of this does come back to optimizing skill mix and and optimizing the pharmacy model for for the benefit of patients without taking away what makes pharmacy so valuable in the first place and one final thought about all this um which occurred to me as these powers pass to the gphc they could decide they could decide to take remote supervision which people are worried about off the table altogether why not? Um, although I am reminded about something that the legal expert David Reisner said earlier this year on the podcast. Uh, you can't lobby a regulator in the way that you can lobby politicians and ministers, uh, which you would have been able to do when these powers came under the auspices of the Department of Health. So for me, it's all about the consultation now and how the GPHC handles that consultation when the time comes Okay, a good discussion that to to kick off the pod. Um, who's next? Uh, Neil, let's come to you. Good week, bad week. Well, far be it from me to, um, you know, go for a bad week. And very rarely do I do that, as you know. Um, I've gone for um Dr. Azim Majid, who's a London GP based, uh, London GP, uh, a GP based in London. He's head of primary care and public health at Imperial College London. So what he says, unfortunately, carries degree of weight and um he was i was browsing last week through a, a, a few articles um and i stumbled across one on independent pharmacists prescribing in the british medical journal and i started to read it and it was it was a very positive it started out as a quite a positive um article on, on prescribing uh, you know let's get this going it's a bit of excitement about next year's uh, pilot um the increasing numbers of pharmacist prescribers uh, a, a wider array of drugs that they're going to be able to prescribe, including antibiotics, uh, without the need for a GP. This is great stuff, as we as we know in pharmacy. And the article was, you know, uh, had, a, had, a, had more than a, a positive um, feel to it. And then I got to uh, two thirds of the way down the article, and then there was a, a comment completely out of kilter with the rest of the article, a quote from Dr. Majid, and um, and he basically well, he basically slags off. Uh, independent pharmacist prescribing, uh, quite shockingly. Um, he thinks that uh, independent prescribing, pharmacist prescribing, will actually fragment primary care. Um, and uh, if you don't believe me, this is his quote. He said, I would rather see increased investment in core GP uh, services to improve access for patients rather than the fragmentation of primary care delivery and the mixed range of interventions the government is introducing without much success to reduce the pressures on NHS general practices in England. And I just thought, wow, really? You know, okay, well, everybody wants more money. I mean, pharmacy wants more money uh, for its services. And, 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 and I'm not surprised he, he wants more money in, in general practice. But really? Are you really serious? That you, Can you not see the benefit in independent pharmacists prescribing? Obviously not. He wasn't in any mood to stop there. He went on. He actually went on. He actually said and actually questioned how much will these independent pharmacist prescribing schemes, as he described it, cost to run and how would that compare with investing in general practice so he wants to know you know is this worth it really i mean uh, clearly he thinks that it's more 
worthwhile investing in general practices than in than putting money into a, a scheme that will take pressure off of general practices so go go figure brilliant um so i, I was pretty shocked to, to read something i had to actually read back i had to double take this and read it again to make sure my eyes weren't weren't, weren't fooling me here um and uh, you know I, I was i was stunned minutes after we ran the story um on our on the on our website we tweeted it, the english pharmacy board chair thorin govind uh tweeted uh, she actually retweeted the headline which we ran which was pharmacist independent prescribing will fragment primary care says leading gp and then she said quite rightly no it won't the current problem is siloed working we're all on the same team and she's absolutely right so i was disappointed and shocked to read dr Azi majid's uh comments um i think as a wake-up call to dr majid i think one thing he should realize is that patients are at the center of the healthcare universe not gps um and just a couple more bits of uh, information for Dr. Majid, in case he's not aware. Uh, digital technology and access to patients' summary care record by all prescribers will actually go a long way to preventing the fragmentation of primary care. And on the on his uh, uh, insistence that uh, more money should be ploughed into general practice rather than pharma, independent pharmacy prescribing, well, there's no point in investing in more GP ser- uh, services if the NHS is struggling to recruit GPs. And... Is investing in GP services really going to be the best option for improving patient access? So, utterly bad week for Dr. Azim Majid at Imperial College London. Yes, well, bad week for the good doctor. A bit rich when he talks about the fragmentation of primary care when the the thing that is fragmenting right now is the the GP service. Ah, oh dear, I'm... I'm reluctant to give this too much airtime, to be honest. Tribalism still very much alive and well. Uh, Rob? Well, the whole of primary care needs investment, doesn't it? I don't I don't know. What, I don't buy this either or argument. I, th- I think that's the way of madness, frankly. Um, you know, the, the message that, that I think, aside from Dr. Majid, is going out from primary care generally is that primary care uh, should be invested in um, at, generally because. Um, because too much of the investment currently goes into secondary care and secondary care uh, could be better supported if there was more primary care. Um, I don't know. It's it's surprising in in 2022 that these kind of views still pop up occasionally, doesn't it? And no surprise that they get reported, I guess. But I think increasingly those kind of views belong in the, you know, whenever there'll be another Jurassic Park sequel along in a minute, the views belong in there. Right, I'll go next. I'm going to go for good week for the community pharmacists and their teams involved in eliminating hepatitis C virus. Yes, eliminating hep C virus in people who use drugs in Tayside in Scotland. Uh, Now, this isn't a new story. Uh, It actually goes back uh, a couple of years, but there was a, a paper published recently that we covered in the October issue of Pharmacy Magazine and online. So I thought it was a good story to share on the pod. Um, Some background. Tayside and Scotland in general are uh, regrettably especially hard hit by substance abuse. Uh, Greater Glasgow and Clyde has the highest drug-related death rate in Scotland and Tayside uh, is close behind. And In fact, the drug-related death rate in Scotland is nearly four times that of the UK as a whole. 
Now, as we all know, people who inject drugs uh, have a far higher chance of getting infected with blood-borne viruses, such as hepatitis C viruses. So pharmacists um, in Tayside have been involved in, in a series of schemes aimed at this particular patient group, involving things like uh, supervising opioid substitution therapy, providing injection equipment, uh, capillary testing for HCV antibodies using dried blood spot samples, referral to specialist hepatitis services or pharmacist-led care, or even starting HCV therapy in pharmacies. Um, all this comes under the direction of Dr Andrew Radley, who's a consultant in public health pharmacy NHS Tayside. And what they found um, in the research was that the pharmacy care pathways were twice as successful as the standard pathways used by specialist hepatology teams. And the net result of all of that was that HCV was virtually eliminated from the region, which I think is, is quite something. And in fact, some pharmacy teams managed to cure every person with HCV who visited their pharmacy. So, you know, it's schemes like this that, that to me, really demonstrate the absolute best of community pharmacy in, in terms of access and impact. You know, this is difficult work, really difficult work. But uh, another example of pharmacists and their teams just rolling up their sleeves and, and getting stuck in and working collaboratively too. Now, I'm just going to quote um, uh, a piece from the study. Uh, people who use drugs, PWUDs, were asked to help design an ideal pharmacy service and they wanted most of all to be treated with dignity and respect and as Dr Radley says if if the pharmacy can provide that then this patient group would choose them above any other healthcare provider and Dr Radley continues it may be that the pathway back from addiction is through reconnecting with communities and pharmacy can play a significant part in the recovery journey through inclusive and non-stigmatizing services. You know, we all know substance misuse is associated with inequalities and poverty um, and often with trauma and mental, mental illness attached as well. I mean, people who use drugs need a heck of a lot of guidance, help and support. All too often they face prejudice, intolerance and discrimination. And community pharmacists are in all likelihood the health professionals, the people who use drugs, see most frequently. So their support is of real value and shows yet again what an asset community pharmacy is in tackling some of the very worst health inequalities. Uh, that's my good week then. The community pharmacists and their teams in Tayside um, tackling drug misuse and helping drug users along the long road to recovery. Rob, you wanted to come in. I think that's a great story and um, a real example of how pharmacies can um, are in a place to get to what I think these days we should call underrepresented groups rather than hard to reach, which implies you know some kind of stigma. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that's a, an absolutely brilliant example of that, and um, you know, hopefully, other people will notice and, and start thinking about that for their communities too. Um, right, I'm not sure whether it's a good week or a bad week. Uh, the person concerned will think it's a good week. Um, I'm I'm just uh, old enough to have now seen this, I think, for the third or fourth time. Uh, 
one of our members of parliament has had a bright idea. Um, as I say, this is a bright idea which crops up every, maybe every, possibly every parliament, but certainly every 10 years or so. Wouldn't it be a great idea if we put the price of the medicine on the dispensed medicine packet? Oh, not this again. Oh, yes, it's back. It's back and it's been in Parliament and it's been approved. It's gone to second, it's gone through second reading, which basically means not too much. Um, but it's gone to, it's gone through first reading. So it's now got to be, officials will now have to put a bit of effort into it. Um, it, it crops up every, uh, every few years, which means the officials will just have to go back to the, what they found last time and put that in front of the minister. Um, the same sort of arguments, uh, Mr. McKinley, Craig McKinley, the MP for South Thanet, it's his idea. The bill has the benefit of elegance, simplicity, and quite rarely for this place, a cost and administration burden as close to zero as any measure could possibly have. Um, it's he, he calls on the common sense, particularly of, um, of the elderly, uh, who possess a great deal of common sense, of course, um, and their awareness of the value of value for money. Uh, Mr. McKinley says they could be part of the system of medicines optimization by recognizing the value of what they're receiving for free and by intervening themselves, if necessary, when they see high value drugs, which they know will never be used, simply landing each month. So, yes, that's what we want to encourage. We want to encourage people to stop taking things that are very expensive on the grounds that the country is in the wherevers and uh, we all need to save a few bob. So this isn't a great idea. It looks like a good idea. It feels like a good idea. Um, and he says it's very simple. I think it's actually quite complicated, um, depending on which bit of the tariff you use. Does he want the actual prices or does he want the official prices? List prices, tariff prices. I mean, the, the practicality of that bit is is um, is challenging enough. But the real problem with this is there, there's, there's two things, I think, particularly for community pharmacies. Um, first of all, you run the risk of irritating people who might pay for their prescriptions, unless you're not going to put the price on prescriptions that have been paid for. Um, because as, as pharmacists will know and pharmacy dentists will know, Anybody who works in a pharmacy will know there's lots of medicines that are, you know, cheap as chips. And if you just paid whatever the current charge is for something that costs 30p, 30p, you might be a bit annoyed. And who are you going to take your annoyance out on? The person who just handed it to you. So it runs the risk of retaining people who might kick off in a pharmacy. But also consistently, I think when you when you there has been some research done on what happens when this happens, because there are parts of the world where um, the price of the medicine is is visible to um, to the uh, they might pay for it directly or or it might appear on the package um, and it won't the research suggests it won't necessarily have the desired effect as 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 Mr McKinley might want which is that it does put people off particularly older people it puts them off taking treatment because they like to do their bit for the NHS and the very last thing you want is people going oh, I don't think the NHS could afford this really expensive treatment for me. I better, you know, I better cut down or I'd better use only one every couple of days and all of that sort of stuff. So really, at the face of it, it sounds interesting. It sounds simple. It's got the usual um, 
common sense uh, backers, the, the MPs who talk an awful lot about the importance of common sense. It's got a lot of them who've signed on for it. Um, but generally, uh, it's a daft idea and it could end up having completely the opposite impact of what Mr McKinney thinks it might have, which is people get poorer treatment as a result of feeling that they're doing the right thing. So I'm not sure it's a good week or a bad week for Mr McKinney, but it's certainly a daft week for Mr McKinney. We've just got time for a quick any other business. Arthur. Yeah, just I just thought we should say a quick hello to the new old health secretary, Steve Barkley. Uh, the PDA, I thought, extended quite a droll welcome to him, saying he... Uh, uh, he uh, was it, he held held the role for three months earlier this year and is now sort of back back in post. So um, so welcome back, Mr. Barkley, the man who voted for the funding cuts in twenty sixteen and refused to write off pharmacies' COVID loans. What a disastrous appointment! It strikes me that given that we had a sort of interregnum with um, Therese Coffee, he will be the first. Is it true that he'll be the, like the first Secretary of State for Health, which if he were a, a patient being discharged from hospital, the fact that he'd return so quickly would mean he'd have to fine himself under the rules for which hospitals get paid as a returner? Well, <laughs> let's. Uh, at least he won't be sharing his antibiotics, um, hopefully. Let's draw things to a close there then. Um, my thanks to Neil, Arthur and Rob. Uh, all the Talking Pharmacy podcasts are available on the Pharmacy Magazine website, pharmacymagazine.co.uk, uh, or from your usual podcast provider. We're taking a break for a fortnight, um, so we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Until then, thanks very much for listening. Talking Pharmacy is brought to you in partnership with Beatrice. Supporting pharmacy across Rx dispensing, retail and OTC sales and patient service delivery.